Summit, an event I'm pretty proud of. I remember the first one of these, me and my buddy Kevin Hill, we were doing a show called Put That Coffee Down, and we're like, you know what? We need to do at our next live event like a breakout session for salespeople. And then uh, COVID hit, and then we moved this over to a virtual event, and that's sort of the genesis of this. For those of you who are marketers, you don't know my show, What the Truck. My name's Dooner. I um, started out at FedEx Trade Networks. I've worked in operations. I transitioned from there over into sales. I was the director of marketing over at Freight Plus. And now here over at Freight Waves, I produce What the Truck. I work on our giant podcasting network, Freightcast. I market this show. And uh, if you're on social media, you may have seen some of my stuff and some of our guests today. We have an absolutely fantastic show. One thing we're going to get deep into with uh, Freight Caviar, Boris Panov, and uh, Mario Pangini from Stored is social marketing. These gentlemen have absolutely crushed it. And it's been a long time in marketing before there's been someone I've taken inspiration from, right? I usually take my inspiration from pop culture, from other mediums, from other business where like they're doing really well with this kind of stuff, being loud and in your face. Well, they have conquered like LinkedIn last year. These guys had like 100 million impressions. We're also going to get into a big topic right now, employment. You guys heard yesterday, man, that awful news out of Flexport, 20% of the staff cut. It's a scary time to be an employee. However, however, the hiring market is still really robust. A lot of companies overhired during COVID. They're doing some churn. Those same companies are bringing new people in and the people around you are aware of that. So how do you bring in and how do you keep those people on the ranch? How do you keep those sales and marketing teams around? Internal marketing is just as important as external marketing. We're going to get into all that. But first, I got to tell you, if you're not registered for this show, you're not going to have a chance to win. We're giving away a dozen eggs to anybody who registers for this show. You've seen how expensive those things are. No, I'm just kidding. We got a stove here. We got a solo stove. We got a picture of this thing. Free giveaway. Register now and be entered to win a solo stove Yukon 2.0. It's smokeless. Show that thing to the people. Look, you can roast your marshmallows on there. Out here Chattanooga, a little cold today. You can hover your butt over that thing. Um, It's not gas, though, so you don't have to worry about that being contraband. No one's going to take that thing away from you. Let's get into stuff today, though. We got a great guest here from Factor 8. It is Ted Martin. He is their chief revenue officer over there, and he's going to help us talk a little bit about what's going on with keeping people on the ranch. Ted, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, Dooner, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. It's great to see you. You know, it's interesting because, you know, you know, the hiring market's uh, robust when you start hearing buzz terms coming in, like elective turnover, which, uh, in my opinion, probably just means people saying they're going to quit, right? Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) What are you seeing around that? Are people are people quitting or are people getting scared? We've heard a lot of news recently. The Amazons of the world, the Flexports of the world, releasing a lot of people. Yeah, 100%. The, uh, what we found a lot in our research is that a lot of this has to do with in the tech space where they completely overhired. Um, and I'm not going to get into uh, you know any type of stock advice from the past or anything like that, but um, we've done a lot of research over the past year, and, and some of the things that we found is that the the idea from a sales and marketing leader's perspective is that it's all a financial decision as to how people make decisions on where they want to stay with their employment. And uh, believe it or not, that's not the case. 
Yeah, see, I was a sales rep, right? And I've been fired as a sales rep, and I've quit as a sales rep. So I'm a little right. familiar with how that goes. I know why I left my companies. Um, one of them was because... I didn't really like the manager that much. And also I just, right. I, I could see my fate. I knew within two months, like it wasn't going to look good for me anyway. What are you seeing? Yeah. So I'm not going to lie. First, not liking your manager is still number one. So that's not going to get away. <laughs> um, but the, but the next piece is, is pretty interesting, especially after COVID. So, um, you know, with our organization, we talk to supply chain, you know, freight transportation leaders, sales leaders all the time. And what, what, has transitioned due to COVID is this, believe it or not, desire around quality of life and also the belief in what it is that you're doing. And so this mindset of, you know, being compensated or going where the highest buck is kind of like that, that mercenary type approach where back in the day, we probably would have gone for you know, five, 10, $15,000 more. Um, now what people are looking for is more internal development, career path. Um, as well as flexibility in their um, in in their work, and so, uh, but the number one thing in our you know we we surveyed about uh, thousands of brokers and other sales reps, and what seventy percent of those folks told us is that employee development and career pathing was their number one reason why they were either going to stay with their organization or why they left the organization that they were formerly with. You know, it's important to get ahead on this topic. And, you know, if you notice during COVID, right, it caused a little bit of toxicity in some environments, too, because you'd have people who were there for a while. They're sticking with the company through the beginning of this COVID time. Now they're out there doing right. hiring sprees and you're a rep and you're hearing about they just brought in some greenhorn and he's making fifteen thousand dollars more than me. That doesn't fly. Right. right. How do you stay ahead on this? So I, I think just going back to the concept that I mentioned before around developing your people and showing the development around, you know, where they can go, um, the, the mindset of being able to take your career to the next level is, is different now. Before it was like, okay, I want this next title. I want to be promoted into this next role. Um, but what humans started to realize was that, if I go into that next role, am I going to know how to do it before I get there? And so the idea of skill development or, um, or, or strategy development and understanding how to do that is so, so important. And, and remember, when COVID hit, a lot of organizations went through layoffs. Um, but then there was, there was a turn where people started hiring back. And so if you as an employer want to be an attractive either organization where you're holding on to your talent or when you're ready to start hiring back, if you want to be an attractive employer, showing someone a career path of how you're going to develop them over their first 18 months, that might allow you to compete with organizations that might be providing a five, 10 or $15,000 more salary than um, what you're able to provide as an organization. And that's from the HR perspective. What about from the, like our listeners, the manager perspective, right? How do they get ahead on this? How do they understand how to communicate what is going on in this environment to their employees? So a couple of things. I think the first thing, and this happens with all active communication, is listen. Um, so be able to actually hear and ask your employees what they care about. Um, you know, some of your folks that have been with you for 10, 15, 20 years, they probably aren't going to care about career development or career pathing. Um, but some of the folks that you've had um, over the past five years or even even less, they may care about it. So first, 
ask questions and understand what your folks care about. Um, and then from there, just start putting pen to paper, bring in some of your most influential reps, some of your most influential managers and start mapping out what could a potential career path look like? What could we educate our folks on outside of just our industry or our competition? But how can we truly help elevate the skills of the people that we have internally? Um, and I think that's where I would start personally. I mean, in my career, I've, I've built over 15 different revenue teams across multiple industries, and, and that's the way I did it. So. Well, Ted, our speed date is almost over. Any last words that you would like the audience out here to know about? No, I, I, I think the, the one thing is around you know, this idea, I call it the compensation myth, right? The idea that you have to pay more to get top talent, um, it, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, the idea of being able, you know, the right types of brokers are going to come to you and you're going to be able to say, yes, maybe this organization's going to provide you with five or $10,000 more in overall compensation, but the learning and development opportunity that you're going to have, as well as the financial success that you're going to be able to have, is going to be far more impressionable to the right types of candidates. And if you can show them what an 18-month or two-year development program might look like, even if it's just a basic type out, um, I think that that, def that will definitely set you apart as well as it sets our clients apart in how they differentiate themselves from the market. Well, hey, Ted, really cool. So people want to connect with you. Where do I send them to? Yeah, so just send them to factor8.com. Um, as well as you can look me up on LinkedIn, Ted Martin, um, and it's Factor 8. And, uh, you know, if you guys need anything, please feel free to reach out. Looking forward to helping everyone. Hey, take it easy, Ted. Be cool, man. All right, dinner. Take it Thanks easy. For the time. All right, talk about marketing. How about this? Meanwhile, guys want to get this. I actually showed this to Craig Fuller yesterday, our CEO and founder. You know, he owns Flying Magazine. I asked him if we could start Chattanooga's first flying motorcycle club. It's from a company called Jetpack Aviation. They say that they are... Presenting this to the FAA, it's going to be commercially available by 2023. See yourself community office in this. Uh, Nathan Strang over at Flexport, he says that this is a good way to uh, fix the Social Security problem because so many people in Florida are going to fall off these things and die. Uh, the only <laughs> bad thing there would be if it, I guess one of these guys landed on you. It doesn't really look safe, though. I don't know. This is CGI. I'd like to see one of these in person. I remember last year we showed one of these on What the Truck, and they showed it on a track, and it was so loud, like the thrusters underneath this thing. Um, there's also one truth in life. Anything someone will do in a car, you know, eat, drink, text on their phone, they're probably going to do on a flying jetpack. But uh, let me know if you want one of those. Maybe we'll make it our giveaway at, uh, at F3 when Craig Fuller and I got our flying motorcycle club. We got a great host of people here today. It is Mario Pangini, Vice President at Stewart. Some may call him Super Mario. We got Boris Panov. He is from Superior Dispatch Services. And, of course, Freight Caviar. These are all guys that if you're on LinkedIn, if you haven't seen them, you are not any part of Freight LinkedIn. Like, you guys are nuts. These guys crushed it last year. Every marketer that is listening to this right now, these guys probably destroyed you in performance. And this is, to me, no offense, but they took an amazing approach in the past year. They used a template I'm so proud of because it's a playbook that I borrow from myself, and that is using things that work in other mediums and bringing them into freight and executing well. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming here. We are going to teach these people how to be. Thanks for having us, Dooner. 
You know, it's funny to start things off. There's a great comment that was in here, and it's by Michelle LeBlanc. And um, she's responding to one of the other sessions that, that kind of criticized freight marketing. It said, oof, as a marketer, it kind of wounds me in my soul to have things coming from comms described as inherently watered down and boring. The problem here is that for a long time, freight marketing sure as hell was. Wouldn't you agree with that, Mario? Uh, yeah, and uh, I think you might be giving me too much credit to, to, to think that I'm at the pinnacle of this, but we're certainly trying to change it. It's like, uh, it's funny, I, I feel like I'm best friends with everyone on the call, but I've really only met these folks digitally, but uh, it's like kind of meeting your heroes for the first time. You know, Boris and Paul have been massive, massive inspirations to what we're doing over at, at Stored, and um, you know, I was speaking to someone who's been in the B2C space their entire career, and then we brought them on at Stored, and I was like, dude, you are absolutely crushing it. Like, your content's getting so much engagement. We're bringing in so many opportunities through it, and he goes, yeah, I mean, like, I guess. Like, this is just kind of like what you do in B2C marketing, but, you know, I'm thrilled that uh, that you and the execs, like, seem to think it's so revolutionary. I mean, it's it's so unbelievably simple. It's about understanding what you need to communicate to people, understanding what they care about and figuring out the way that you can engage them positive emotional reaction and grab their attention. So many brands are stuck in trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to say to them? And they don't think about what do they want to hear and what does my audience need to see in order to actually have a good experience. You give someone a good experience, they're going to live for you. Absolutely, Mario. And like, I love that you said B2C because one of the biggest problems in freight marketing is that it didn't communicate to people. It was just a picture of a truck and everyone copying the same exact marketing copy. It did not speak to anyone. There was no emotional core there. There was no risk. There was nothing. And you wonder why it doesn't resonate. I'm sure you saw the same thing, Paul. What made you decide to target in on the approach that you've gone with your marketing, your memes? Everybody's aware of them. Everybody's seen them. Everyone's subscribing to the newsletter. Now, tell us a little bit about how you decided to put your formula together. Sure, like in the beginning, it was just just for fun. I never thought of it anything more than just having fun. But what I realized through it all is that if you're consistent, patient, and you make content that people enjoy, literally people will start gravitating towards you. And especially in this dry kind of content uh, industry that we're in, people actually really want this. And what's, what's powerful about content and uh, making content that people like, you could start afterwards selling them stuff. Like mm-hmm. right now, we're literally about to launch Shipper CRM like within a month. I posted a few things on my Instagram and LinkedIn, and we had 400 people sign up for the wait list. Uh, and it's only because of the Freight Caviar channel. So when you, and if you look at Mario, he's got stores. So they definitely got customers just from creating quality content that people like. And then if you, I know Boris, like he, he doesn't necessarily sell any product right now, but if Boris was about to like launch a product, I guarantee you he would start, you know, getting customers left and right just because of the fact that he created content that people enjoy. And as we all know, people are addicted to their cell phones and are on LinkedIn and social media all day long these days. So you're literally capturing so many people's like attention if you're posting on social media. So yeah, that's what they, I've learned, and that's it's really important. Well, they love it, too. Pe- like with memes, for example, this, this market was so underserved. The freight market was underserved. They worked everywhere else. Why not freight? Someone who has executed this so well. You mentioned him just there. Boris, this is a dude sitting in Macedonia. Nobody should know who this guy is, yet we all do. Boris, tell us a little <laughs> bit. How did you get your name across the world out of Macedonia? Uh... I mean, I would say it's a little bit of a miracle, to be honest. So uh, 
my story kind of matched up a lot with Paul's story. So I, when I usually started, I didn't have to sort of plan where I am planning to get this and uh, what I'm going to do forward with it. But, uh, you know, after some conversations and after the reach that I received on my personal profile, I kind of uh, become with a plan that I build it up and I just try to make a different approach to the customers that I necessarily need them uh, for my operation to run. So the memes uh, are some sort of a different uh, approach to the people that I necessarily need in order to give me freight. So, you know, for those who doesn't know, I work as a load planner and my job is to find the freight for the trucks. And instead of me trying to uh, text everybody in the inbox, hey, my name is Boris, I need freight, like everybody else does. Yeah, who's Boris, I, right? Yeah, who's Boris, exactly. And <laughs> I'm sure that that's a double broker. You know, people. you're going to scare people with that name sometimes. Boris, you got to be careful. You got to you gotta lead in with the memes. Well, can you tell, how many impressions did you have last year? Tell the people this, because there's marketers out here that spend so much of their budget, like, promoting their content online instead of finding a good content creator to work with who is absolutely dunking on them. Tell us how many impressions you got. Uh, the only thing I regret when I got the information, how many impressions I got, is I didn't show how many likes I got because I wanted to tell the people that not everybody who's seeing you actually likes you, you know. But even those who don't like you and see you are some sort of fans. So, yeah, the only number that I know it's uh, in the last 365 days, uh, the post reached 10 million uh, impressions on LinkedIn. So, that's the number. Paul, how do you convert this? How do you how do you turn the memes into internet money, right? How do you turn this into either sales or brand deals or ways to enhance other companies? You showed us a logo on the shirt, so you probably got some fresh ink on something. Sure. Tell us the story. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, wait. that's for Paul. Sorry, was that for me? For, That's okay. for you, Paul. Uh, sorry, Boris. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I mean, just to take it all the way back, uh, like one of my first sponsors, Ascent TMS, we're actually at their headquarters right now. They literally, you know, they wanted me to promote uh, Ascent TMS on Freight Caviar. And, you know, I started talking to Tim pretty often. And, you know, we, we had this idea of Shipper CRM with uh, Christian, my partner. And he was like, you know, like, we're going to integrate you into Ascent TMS. So that's why I'm, why I'm here right now. So just, just because of the fact that I had Freight Caviar, I'm able to integrate this uh, Shipper CRM tool that we're starting literally because, uh, because of that. So, and that, if you look at my other brand deals, like other sponsors, just because I have an audience, people will gravitate towards that. And I think people are uh, paying more attention to that, especially in the freight marketing scene. So uh, if anyone has an audience, it's, it makes sense for a brand to come in and be like, hey, can you promote alongside me, alongside that company? Because at the end of the day, you probably get more impressions. You will get more impressions, uh, you know, over social media than you would uh, at a conference or uh, at a, like a magazine that's old school. So uh, it definitely brand deals have been coming left and right. And it's it's been wonderful to see just, just the, the sheer power of the Internet. Where, where the hell are you anyway? What's going on behind you? I'm in Brandon, Florida at the Send TMS headquarters. So oh, nice. there's people walking in and out. <laughs> yeah. Mer- Mario, the, the mess, the, the idea, right? The con, you got to understand your concept. You got to understand which direction you're going and you pick the B to C thing. How do you execute and distribute on that? How do you, how are you getting that online and what are you using to get your message across? We know your LinkedIn strategy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just a kind of quick comment on something that, that Paul said, which is so unbelievably accurate. So you can get reach. Anyone with money can get reach. You can spend money to get content in front of 
anyone. And assuming you have the money, you can do it. There is literally no expertise required, no skill required, nothing special. But what is unbelievably rare to achieve and what is unbelievably difficult to achieve and why it's so important that you have the right strategy or why it's so advantageous for brands to partner with and work with folks like Boris and Paul is because the real thing that you are pursuing as a brand or as a marketer is attention. Reach is a commodity. Attention Mm -hmm. is a earned privilege. And so when you work with someone like Boris or Paul, you're not just getting their reach, which is impressive in and of itself. You're getting the attention that comes with their captivated audience because everyone that follows Paul, everyone that follows Boris, everyone that follows Freight Caviar, they're not just following it to be like, oh, I want more content in my feed. They're following it because they're genuinely engaged. And so, you know, on any given day, probably each and every one of us scroll through tens of thousands of individual posts, individual pieces of media. But when you've built the right strategy, very similar to what Boris and, and Paul have done, it's not just that your content shows up in that you know list of 10,000 other options. It's that the users, the audience, be like, oh, crap, Like that's something new from Boris. I've got to stop scrolling. I got to pay attention. I got to read this. And it's really about captivating that attention. Attention is earned. And ultimately, less than 5% of the total group of people vying for it are actually getting it, whereas, you know, anyone can get reached. But in terms of of our strategy, you know, it's pretty simple. I often tell people that successful marketing is maybe at the most 5% strategy, 95% execution. It's unfortunate that if you were to go and get a marketing degree or take any marketing classes that... 99% of that information will be about strategy. And then you land in a role as a operator and you realize that knowing the right channels to use, knowing the right tools, knowing how to build the right processes, that's, you know, at most 5% of, of, of the equation. And so, you know, I don't have any secret marketing tactics. Like I don't know of any marketing channels that other marketers don't know about. I don't know of some magical way that your ads are going to get in front of people better than someone else. And so the foundation of our strategy is exactly what I just said. It's around captivating attention. It's about understanding the problem that we solve, understanding how unbelievably painful that is for our audience, for our customers, and figuring out a way that we can hit home on the message of, we understand that problem. We are here to help you and we know how to fix it. And if you can do that, in a way that actually solicits a positive emotional response, you know, everyone out there, you know, it's uh, you, you could go to a uh, family gathering and one of your second cousins is going to talk about these damn supply chain issues. Everyone's talking about it. So it's unbelievably opportune for you to show that you have the strongest understanding of what's going on and you're able to do it with content that people are actually going to enjoy. And so once you're able to do that, once you have that foundation, the process of, you know, how do I go about reaching people on Facebook? How do I go about reaching people on LinkedIn, on on Google? I'm not saying that's not important, but there are thousands of people that can do that. But the list of people that are able to actually capture that attention 
is unbelievably short. You know, yeah, that, I mean, it's not it's not the views, it's the who's, right? I mean, we've all had this problem. I've been a director of marketing, and you you go in your Google ads and everything, and it's like, okay, these many, but who the hell are they? That's like the power of LinkedIn, too. And the power of LinkedIn, if you work with a content creator like myself or a Boris or a Paul, you are entering into highly curated networks. You are talking, you're not talking about things just going out into the ether. You are talking about people who are specifically targeting industry relentlessly every single day across multiple social platforms. They're doing the hard work of creating the funnel already for you. Um, now it's just a matter of putting the juice in the bucket. Boris, what kind of results are you seeing and uh, what and how are you developing that? Has Superior seen business out of what you do? Uh, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, if you can't realize, I never kind of use a strategy of uh, usual company uh, strategies that I uh, chase business publicly, you know. So I never ever in my career posted like a, uh, uh, post about me working at Superior District Service uh, that I need, uh, I don't know, loads, uh, what kind of services we offer. So uh, what I focused on is that I was trying to uh, get myself a label in the industry, like I said. So, you know, uh, I was more kind of guy that I'm uh, working to build myself a brand and have customers chasing me instead of me uh, wasting money, company money, and chasing uh, customers or business clients. So, uh, so far, that's it. I mean... Paul, you know, you get you get a little racy sometimes with your memes. You get a little risque. Uh, <laughs> is it a good... You know, he just, yeah. he just mentioned the word over there, personal brand. Um, is it good to start a personal brand? Should companies let their people start uh, personal brands? And what kind of oversight, if any, should they have on it? I mean, I personally think you should let people rip. And, you know, if they screw up, you, you take it from there and you coach from there. And it depends on how bad they screw up. But I'm not one of those people who put shackles on people. How do you feel about it? Sure. Uh, I, I, for me, like, uh, if, if, you know, if someone were to post, like, uh, I guess risky content under like freight caviar, uh, I see that as a plus or as like a good thing because uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, more people are going to pay attention to it. More people are going to look at it. And, you know, like uh, for me, it's building a personal brand is definitely very valuable and you have to be patient and consistent with it because some people expect to like, you know, they, they'll post something that won't get any likes. It won't get any reactions or impressions. And they're like, whatever, this is not for me. I'm not going to do it. But I've been doing this for, for over two years now uh, since I started Free Caviar. And uh, I started at zero followers. And now on Instagram, at, I'm at almost 27,000. And, uh, you know, like even the following comments doesn't really matter. As long as you're posting content that you enjoy and that, you know, others are still enjoying it, that's the most important thing because deals are going to come out of it. Uh, so having that personal brand, having, like for me, I have Free Caviar. Uh, but it's, it's, extremely powerful and just like just to give you an example is literally the fact that um i messaged someone on twitter a few months ago he was a software engineer and he in his profile he was working on uh, something called autobahn.ai and i messaged him because i wanted him on my podcast and it turned out that he closed on autobahn.ai and he's work he's looking to work on something else and we came up with this idea shipper crm and uh it's literally a crm for freight brokerages so, like, that came out of the fact that, like, I had my brand on Twitter and I messaged someone. So, you never know what might, what might come out of any interaction with anyone. Uh, therefore, it's, it's so important to, to, like I said, be patient, consistent, and, you know, create that dialogue with your, uh, with your followers, your fans. Uh, talk to them. See what's going on. If you do that, your, uh, I guess, net worth in, like, the future is going to explode because it's, 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 you're going to be a value to a lot of people and you're going to be able to 
network. And networking is essentially uh, the most important thing. And it's, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Oh, so yeah. uh, definitely well, Paul, be out there, Paul, Paul, create your personal brand. Paul, that's part of the uh, that's that's part of the benefit that you also unlock when you're working with content creators, especially established ones, the top yeah. shelf ones. You're talking, you're entering into a network with people who know the series and founders of hundreds of companies in this business, if not if not thousands. Yeah. You're not going to get that out of booking Google Ads. And I'm not saying like completely abandon that strategy. I'm just saying you got to rethink how you're looking at this stuff in 2023. Now, Mary, you're on like the corporate side at Stored. One thing that sort of drives me nuts and I don't understand is why do companies hire, like they look at degrees like, oh, this person's a marketing degree. They'll be my social media manager. Why would you ever hire someone as a social media manager who has no social media presence whatsoever? It seems like the easiest job in the world to vet for. You can just, oh, look, he's got a Twitter following or Insta. He's successfully or she successfully demonstrated some ability, but time and time again, in freight, I look at these things. And I'm like, that's their so that's their marketing manager. Like they they're, they have no presence anywhere. Why? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm scratching my head on 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 this too, and have had the question for years. And the best answer that I I, I can give you is that. It comes down to the majority of companies not understanding what they need and not understanding what good looks like. You have to remember that for the majority of, of people, most people are not marketing experts. Most people are not branding experts. And it's not necessarily a fault of a executive leader. They're smart enough to recognize that they need help, that they need some marketing presence. So they go out to the market to find a marketing manager, find a, a social media marketing manager. But again, the person making that hiring decision is not in and of themselves a expert in this. And it's far easier, it's far safer to go down this kind of traditional education route. So you say, oh, wow, you know, this person has a Ivy League marketing degree, or, you know, this person worked in marketing at this huge, huge company. And that just is the established playbook. It's the safe playbook. And it's ultimately why you see so many examples of this. Obviously, I think everyone on the call would agree that that's not the right move, especially when you're hiring for a role like this, where, you know, the thing that I often laugh about is a lot of different companies that sell sales and marketing technology or products. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm literally seeing the product as you're selling to me and you suck at it. Like in what world would I possibly trust you to do sales on my behalf when you are trying to sell to me and, 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 and grossly, grossly failing? If I can sneak in just one more comment on the sure. last topic, Boris and Paul were just so damn spot on on this one piece. And it's that the goal of content marketing is to not just say, oh, I'm so great. Here's my company. Buy my product. No one's going to listen to that. The reality is that no matter what you do, any sort of company, 90, 95% of the audience that they are trying to sell to is not ready to buy today. Mm -hmm. At any given time, only 5% of your buyers are in market today. And so maybe for that small percentage, this buy now marketing may work, but for everyone else, they're just going to scroll past it. So if you take the approach of saying, I am going to consistently entertain, provide insightful information and provide value to my audience, what you've done and what Boris and Paul have done so unbelievably well is bring themselves up to the top of the queue, top of mind. And so that whether it's a week from now, six months from now, or two years from now, whenever that person is ready to buy, they're going to be the very first person they reach out to. Whenever someone is in the market 
for a new uh, new CRM in this industry, I can guarantee you that as soon as they determine I need a new CRM, Shipper CRM and Paul are going to be the very first people that get hit up. And the reason for that is not because Paul's been spamming them with my CRM so awesome content year over year over year. It's because Paul has built up that credibility, that association. And so if your marketing strategy is all about your product, you're really completely ignoring, you know, 95 plus percent of the people that you're trying to to make. You want to make someone feel like they're smarter or funnier or they get, especially on social media, nobody wants to read your long ass post. That's like 1200 characters. Just make something (laughs) funny. Just get to the point, people. I'm so (laughs) sick of it. But like, here's the thing too, Paul, and I'm sure you'd agree with me on this one. So like podcasting was my conduit, was my entryway into this. But one major issue with podcasting is on RSS feeds, you get crappy data on who your listeners are. You don't have an idea. You know how many people listen, but like, you just don't know who's doing it. So I was a big fan of the Morning Brew, and one day Craig Fuller here said, hey, I think we should launch some newsletters. So I jumped on it with What the Truck immediately, and uh, Morning Brew is a huge fan of so I took their style of, of summarizing, more concise news, more quicker there. Then at the bottom, I'll put some links to my podcast. But it made growth go majorly. It's up to 13,000, and with the click of a button, I can reach 13,000 people at once. How much have a hack has your newsletter been for you, Paul? The newsletter for me is, is definitely more like what I see it as like a passion project. It's like, it's something that I've always had in my mind. And so the newsletter is definitely great because it kind of changes, it balances out my content to where like, if you want the funny memes uh, and just like the funny stuff uh, content, you can go to my Instagram, you go to my LinkedIn, but it's like, if you want like a balance, I guess, diet of, of freight news and, and freight humor, you could go to my newsletter Therefore, like it kind of uh, upgraded me in a way that like, oh, he's not just like the guy that's uh, making freight, uh, making freight. He's also providing some kind of insights into the industry. Therefore, it's also helped me a lot with brand deals. Like a lot of a lot of people that companies that come to me, they want to sponsor the newsletter. They don't want to necessarily sponsor me. They want to sponsor the newsletter. So I'm like, well, perfect. This is where I could fit you in, kind of sort of equation. So it's definitely changed the way I guess people kind of look at me and the way that like sponsors are attracted to me. So it's been it's been amazing from that angle, uh, and that's why I'm like really excited to also just keep it going because it is like a passion project for me. So it's like I get really excited about just working on it, and uh, it doesn't feel like work. So that that's definitely what. Hold Paul, let me ask you. Hold on, let me ask you. How do you negotiate those? How do you negotiate those deals? How do you put a value on it? Uh, you know, sometimes you name a price, uh, and they'll agree with it. Sometimes, uh, like sometimes <laughs> they'll want to negotiate. Yeah. Sometimes they want to negotiate and you know, it, it really depends. Like, uh, at the end of the day, it's, it really depends. Each company is a little bit different. Each company wants something different overall, but, uh, you know, right now I'm a little bit over a half a dozen sponsors. So it's not even like, I, I don't even have that many sponsors. So, uh, but there's people reaching out to me consistently and, uh, I think that number is going to continue to grow, uh, but at the same time, it's it's just a you know you got to talk, you got to build a relationship. That's the most important thing in this industry, and uh, I guess this translates to any industry that you're working in. Relationships are the most important, and relationships also take time. You have to be patient, you have to be consistent. It's just like content creation. Uh, you you have to put the time and effort into it, but the I guess the benefits of it will will be there in the long term, and that's why. Don't don't be like uh, I guess don't look at the small picture, uh, the day to day picture when you're doing posting content or when you're building relationships. Look at the big picture, like how is this going to fit into your big plan? 
um, and you know, always be networking, always be you know, connecting with people in, in the industry, uh, and uh, yeah, being patient and consistent. I guess those are like my two two main points, and always always be posting. Boris, Boris, how do brands that are listening, how do, and I hate saying brands, we're not talking to brands, we're talking to people, let's remember that, but how do people who want to execute for this for their company, right, they work for, they're with a store, or they're with a superior, they don't have a Boris on staff, how do they execute a plan like this to get ahead in 2023 and maybe see some of the success that you have? Uh, I mean, the fact is, the memes work for me, but that doesn't mean that it can work for somebody else. What the reality is, uh, there is plenty of opportunities in this industry out there that can some sort of uh, take a little bit of pieces from everything, put it together and put it out there can make you a little bit of different, you know. So uh, being different and uh, try to label yourself like uh, on your name can help you up, uh, get the, the goals, chase your customers and get more business. So for me, it has always been important to turn all this into business. Not try to push like everybody else. I just uh, focus on try finding a way and put this into business. So uh, I will kind of give an advice on people who try to uh, create content. So it doesn't need to be memes. There, I don't know, plenty of other stuff they can do. They can kind of uh, uh, do rap uh, songs with truck drivers. They can, I don't know, record a... Uh, Containers Dude, make Boris, sure Boris, let me jump in with one. Boris, I got one. You're making me think here. You're making me think. This is a this is a thinking uh, panel. Like the other one, like if you're not that funny, one of the videos that are like they do so well is take something from your industry and show people how it works. If you see some of these videos on TikTok, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in the oil field or trucking or how to put a hitch on. You don't have to be funny. You don't even need great editing skills. Just show someone something cool. You got a really nice warehouse. You got some robots running around. Start turning that S into content. Mario, do you agree with what Boris said? What what has been your biggest failure as a marketer? Ooh, I do agree with what 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 Boris said that uh, ultimately you do need to figure out what is going to work for you. I'm biased and would say that I personally gravitate much more towards the strategies that that Boris and Paul have 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 used. But every brand needs to figure out. All right, this is what I'm trying to achieve. And this is the best way to do it, that at the end of the day, if you are just copying what someone else is doing, you will always be chasing, you'll, you'll never be, be leading. Um, in terms of, of failures, and um, I know we're limited on time, I could talk for the next uh, <laughs> take the time to talk about things that I've screwed up over the years. But um, I think I'll, I'll, I'll share a kind of a more philosophical one. Um, I think inherently, I am a people pleaser by uh by trait. Uh, I certainly prefer to conduct business in a situation where everyone in the room is aligned, everyone else is nodding, everyone is happy with, with, uh, with what we're doing. But the challenge and what I've realized kind of more, more recently and what has certainly helped me personally kind of break through and start to build my own personal brand as well as uh, really have some breakout success on the brand side with with sword is this realization that um, if you go and pitch an idea to a room of people and every single person goes, yeah, that, that seems pretty good. We can do that. The reality is that that, what that really means is eh, it's boring. It's safe. No one's going to really engage with that. But you know, if you go in and you pitch an idea, whether it's a website, a, meme, a video, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. And you go in and you share it with your team, or you share it with the rest of the leadership organization internally within a company. And let's say there's 10 people in that discussion. 
And two people go, no way, you cannot do this. That's going to kill us. But then the other eight are like, oh my God, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, okay, you know, a little riskier, but this is the type of content. This is the type of idea that's going to drive a lot of engagement, drive a lot of value. At the end of the day, you have to overcome this reality that you will never please everyone. You won't, you know, if you as a marketer are waiting for every single person at your company to be completely in agreement with everything you're doing, you're either going to get absolutely nothing done or whatever you put out is going to be really, really, really freaking boring. And so once you kind of overcome this fear of realizing two things are true, number one, you can't please everyone and not everyone's going to agree with you. And number two is realizing that if I just play it safe and copy what everyone else is doing, I will never achieve my goals. It becomes way, way, way easier to take these risks. And if you go and look out, it's not just, you know, obviously I'm on the call with three people that I have unbelievable admiration for and all of your success. But to everyone listening, if you think about any of the brands, any of the marketers that you think of as being the best, your personal heroes, I can almost guarantee you that all of those people, everyone you're thinking about have taken a lot of risks and you've got to get comfortable with taking risk. Once you realize that complacency is guaranteed failure, it becomes a lot easier to take those risks. Hey, thank you for sharing on that one. We do have a we have an audience question. It's from Bobby B. He said, "What would you recommend as conference swag, or better yet, what would you pass on on conference swag?" I'll start on this one. What I really like, I think, like Yetis are oversaturated. Way too many Yetis. Like now, the conference, everyone's got a Yeti at their thing. Yeah. What I like seeing is when people make like baskets of like local stuff. That's always just attracts my attention because it's like, oh, where like where did you get that stuff? Where did that stuff come from? Paul, what do you think is uh, like? What are you going to pick up when you're at Manifest in a couple weeks? What what booth would you gravitate towards? Having good clothing, in my opinion, I'm going to just oh, show this real quick because this is this is a sweater, a hoodie that I got from Whimsy Intermodal. Okay. And honestly, it's really simple, really simple, but it's good quality. Yeah. Fits perfectly, and the I don't know. It just I wear it almost like a few times a week. It's my favorite uh, favorite hoodie. So it, it doesn't really seem like it's uh, you know a branded kind of sweater. It looks like something you'd buy at a store, uh, and it's but it's good quality. It has the logo on it, and it's comfy and warm. And uh, I think just making things simple, but yet like something that you'd want to wear on a daily basis is perfect for for conferences. What needs to go? What chargers that will set your house on fire? <laughs> uh what needs to go uh that's a tough one i i like free things so i technically just take anything i can right, yeah, so you're, 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 gonna, you're gonna be walking around the wheelbarrow <laughs> like people at gas just filling up with pens and hand sanitizer and old masks mario what do you think is cool yeah. uh what do you think is cool and swag right now for conferences well what needs to go is literally anything that you wouldn't be super excited to receive mm. it boggles my mind that so many brands use this strategy they're like Oh yeah, we can save some money. We can get these really, really cheap t-shirts that don't fit anyone well and aren't comfortable, but yeah. they're way cheaper. So we can get a shit ton of them and give them out to everyone. And then the result is great. You did give them out to everyone and 97 They all get left in the hotel. <laughs> garbage is garbage been at the conference or left on the ground at the, at the hotel. And so I don't have a golden bullet of just, all right, this one thing is going to make your conference swag magical. But I agree fullheartedly with what Paul said. It's that pick whatever it is. It can be a Yeti even. It can be a sweatshirt. It can be a t-shirt. It can be a phone case, whatever it is. But less is more quality over quantity. Pick whatever it is. If you're going to give out a jacket, find a jacket 
that you would be freaking thrilled to receive that you would wear every day, spend 2x on a per unit basis and give out less total of them because the real goal with swag, it's only successful if two things happen. If the people you give it to actually enjoy it and have a good experience using it, and then if they keep it and wear it, and like I'm sure all of us have more ill-fitting t-shirts that you were handed once that you've never once worn than than we can count. And so, you know, Paul's Too a great, much. great example here. Too much. Give well, guys, someone something they're going to wear all the time. Before I kick you out of here, I got a <laughs> trivia question via OK Boomer. Raise your hand. So whoever raises their hand first will be able to answer first on here. Don't shout your answers out, okay? This is from the Generation Z category. You people have no excuses. Following an acquisition by Amazon in 2014, what popular live streaming service became the primary platform for streaming video games? It is Mario. Twitch. Twitch, he nailed it, dude. Mario, I got to send you a copy of OK Boomer. You did an amazing job today. Follow all of these guys on social media. Look up Freight Caviar. Look up Boris Panoff, especially on LinkedIn. Look up Mario. Follow Store. These guys are doing an incredible job. Hey, thank you so much for educating me and our audience a little bit today at Freightwave Sales and Marketing Summit. Thanks, Sooner. Oh, Thanks man. for having thank us. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Hey, guys, stay tuned to the show, too. we got a whole other set coming up. And tomorrow, What the Truck is typically a live show, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays at noon Eastern time. Obviously, always found on demand on video, podcast, audio. But tomorrow, i got Pam Simon from Manifest on. going to be talking all about that event. i got Andrew Colhane from Torque Robotics talking autonomous trucks. The amazing Tom Curie from Tings Gate Logistics. And Kevin Kay from Trade Centric. Stay tuned. What do we got next? Will Haraway? Something like that going on. We got Nick Dangles and Anthony Smith gonna crush with advice for selling a deflated market. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Subscribe to the show. Don't be a stranger and take care.